Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer. After decades of raising a family and building a career, I've decided to chase my dream and get my doctorate. With incredible encouragement from my wife, I'm headed back to school in my 50s. Join me on my journey as I try and find the balance between family, career, and school while obtaining my golden PhD. On today's episode of The Golden PhD, we're working up to the deadline, week seven. Hey, this has been a really chaotic week this last week. I've only got one week left in one of my classes, and I've got five weeks left in another class. I'm running two classes at the same time. Big week this week, big projects too, and uh, I got close to running out of time. In fact, it was really up to the very last minute that I, I was able to get something done. So this week, what I learned was don't save everything to the to the last minute. I really didn't save it to the last minute. I I started working on papers on Friday. I didn't finish till Sunday. But I really enjoyed I really enjoyed uh the topics this week in my innovation class. Uh, not so much in the project management class and I'll, I'll tell you why here in a little bit. Let's first look at my um innovation class. This week was a really good topic. It was on global innovation adoption. How can I take an innovation and make it so that it doesn't just fit into one geography so that it can spread throughout the world, right? Because that's what everyone wants to do with their innovations. Um, what I found was some really interesting things. I studied the uh, challenges and barriers to um, getting innovation to proliferate across the world. And I found this really cool story about um, a health industry that wanted to just teach people an innovation of boiling water to get rid of waterborne disease. You think, hey, that's not that big of an innovation. Well, it really is an innovation because it saves people's lives. It's a simple thing to do. And uh, these doctors went into the Peruvian Amazon jungle and we're trying to teach the people there the simple thing of boiling water uh, could save lives. Turns out that in these um, cultures that when you boiled water, it means that someone was very sick and was going to die. So they, when these doctors came and said, hey, you can prevent illness by boiling water, it just didn't mesh. So the cultural differences threw it off. And it took them almost three years of convincing them that hey, the diseases are born in the water, and if you boil it, it kills them. It's funny, we laugh at that, but cultural differences are a big deal when it comes to um, adopting innovation. Um, some other really cool things. One was uh, what they called incongruent structure and technology. And this was really prevalent in Japan um, in uh, the turn of the millennium. The Japanese were far ahead of everyone else when it came to smart apps on their phones. They were using their phones as credit cards. This was in the late 1990s and turn of the millennium. They were using their phones as credit cards, as bus passes, um, you name it. They did everything with their phones. They had all these great smart apps. Nowhere else in the world was it adopted like that. Why? Because... All the applications that were written in Japan were for their network, which didn't work anywhere else in the world. So there you go. 
another great innovation was happening there. Couldn't prolifer proliferate it anywhere. Um, interesting stuff. We're seeing the same sorts of things with cloud technology today. I was on the phone with some of my colleagues um, in Europe and in um, the Pacific uh, Rim, uh, specifically China, and um, we were talking about public cloud adoption. In China, no public cloud adoption. Everyone has their own private clouds. It's all about control of information. They don't trust the public clouds. Here in the US, big movement right now to public cloud. And in Europe, it's a mixed bag, depending on which country you're in. Again, perceptions that people have or infrastructure, all those play a really interesting role. So I had to come up with some strategies to talk about how to overcome some of the barriers and challenges uh, to innovation. I actually did a PowerPoint presentation. You can check it out on the website where I talk about all this stuff. There's even a voice over there that I had to hand in, uh, which was really kind of crazy because I do podcasts, several podcasts a week. And for some reason, when I sat down to go and actually voice over my own presentation, which had to only be five to seven minutes, I couldn't speak. It was the weirdest thing in the world. I couldn't get my words out. I was coughing. I was, I don't know, I was nervous. Maybe it's because it's the, the signature um, assignment for that class. But eh, who knows? I, I got over it eventually and, uh, and, and got through it. I already got my grade back. Got an A. Thank you very much. Uh, for all that nervousness, it just wasn't worth it. Now that's for sure. So uh, wait, here's some strategies that uh, will help overcome barriers to and challenges to getting innovation propagated throughout the world. Um, I came up with some of these um, from research papers and, and, um, and some experience that I've had myself. For example, building community of practices. This really can break down some of those cultural barriers where you put community of practices in the geographies that you're looking uh, to do. Also, another thing I found out was there's two types of information dissemination. One is called codified or explicit, uh, where I can write something down, I can speak something, I can show pictures. That's a way of transferring knowledge from one culture to another. And then there's another kind that's called tacit information. This one I had to look up. I had no idea what tacit meant. Now I do, and it's really kind of cool. Tacit means there's information there that I can only gain through experience. Now, I have some children. You guys know who you are that are tacit learners. They only learn through experience, not through reading or listening to their dad speak to them for sure, uh, but they learn through experience. And there are innovations out there um, that are really tacit. You have to see it to believe it. You have to experience it. To, to understand it. Some people say baseball's like that. If you've ever sat down and tried to explain baseball, someone that's never seen it before, it kind of has that feel to it. Another interesting thing, and there was a lot of research around this, in countries, they were trying to figure out why some countries were better at adopting new innovations than others. And what they found was there is a direct correlation between how much the country or the region invest in research and development on how much the rest of the culture will adopt new technologies. I thought this was really interesting. 
as investments have gone up in some of these emerging uh, countries, emerging economies, their ability to accept new innovation has gone up as well. Really fascinating correlation there. And then the other thing that we found, and this is where social networking has really played a really important role in innovation adoption, and that is extending these social groups that accept new innovation through social media. And getting engaged in those social groups through their social networks, um, organizations have found really good ways of propagating their innovation that way. Really cool stuff. Um, I, wrote a, I wrote a paper about it. You can check it out on the website and also the PowerPoint presentation. Now, that's my, that's my innovation class. I'm really enjoying that one. My second class is project management. Now, it's really kind of funny because I went through all the assignments early in the week and I downloaded all of the um, articles I was supposed to read, research papers, and I, I went through those papers and everything. When I got to um, working on my project management um, class, I got all the way through and I was reading through the assignment again, and this phrase popped up I hadn't seen before. It wasn't in any of my research, um, but there was this one little phrase in the assignment. It said, Hand in a Hoshin Con Connery matrix. I can't even pronounce it. It's Japanese. Um, it was developed um, at Toyota. And I said, what in the world is a Hoshin Connery matrix? I'd never seen it before. It wasn't in any of my reading. Just this one little, make sure that you put your project plan in this matrix. <laughs> I had three hours left until the assignments were due at midnight. I'm like... I don't even know what this thing is. How am I going to get this done? Luckily, I found a great template out there, an Excel template um, with instructions on how to do it. And it took me about an hour, um, hour and a half to, to fill it out and fig figure out what this uh, thing was. What I learned from this, though, was really kind of fascinating. What I learned was project management research, they like to take the same data and look at it a hundred different ways, including this, including this matrix. It was an, a new way of looking at um, how projects and objectives relate to resources that you have in your project. It was interesting, right? But what I found in, in all my research this week in project management, 70 to 80% of all projects don't come in on time or on budget. In fact, they gave some blaring blaring um, examples. One was the Big Dig in uh, Boston, which was $14 billion over budget. That's five times over budget and uh, nine years late. So, wow. Wow. I mean, surely we could do better around project management. But what I found was there's a lot of research out there and ways to look at projects and run statistical analysis on critical paths and resource constraints, all those sorts of things. But no one's really solved the problem. They, we can say there's a problem, but we haven't really solved the problem in, in any way uh, that's reliable. Now, go back to um, Agile methodologies, the Agile Manifesto. That's why it came about, was these software engineers got together and said, 
this is ridiculous. Project management in the current state of things just doesn't work very effectively. And we can see that, um, that it doesn't. So moving to the agile method and using scrum teams to do that, that's what I'm all about. I would like to, I would like to do that. In this course, though, I got to jump through all of the hoops, learn all the different techniques and compare and contrast them. Um, from my years of experience, I already can tell you what I want, what I want to do, but I have to give it a shot and do the research. So, so what did I learn this week? I probably put some things off. There were some times when I should have been doing homework and I just wanted to watch a movie with the family. And that caught me off guard. I have to remember it's going to take about an hour per page of writing that I have to do. Can't decrease it. I've been working hard to try and decrease that. It's just not going to work. So another thing I have to do is I need to do a better job at understanding the assignments and all of the deliverables and maybe even create a task for each one of the deliverables so I don't forget anything. Um, that would have been really disastrous after spending, you know, tens and 20 hours on a project to miss a bunch of points because I forgot um, a matrix, who's Sean Carney matrix. That would have been really bad. So um, I'm going to front in my week this week uh, with studying. Hopefully that'll help out uh, quite a bit. Thank you for listening to Golden PhD today. I hope you liked the episode. If you did, give us five stars on your favorite podcast site. And then subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, you can find out more information about Golden PhD at goldenphd.org. Until next week, go out and chase your own golden dreams.